Well, I am excited to be back with the Christ Journey family and uh, especially thankful for Pastor Ryan. What a great job he did for us last Sunday. And I was able to join a church online, was inspired. I hope that you were as well. But wherever you're making your connection with us this, this day, whether it's one of our South Florida campuses or across the nation around the world, you know we are very aware that many of those who are connecting with us are in the aftermath of some kind of storm. And our prayers are with you this day even as we, uh, as we gather and ask God's blessing upon every person making connection with us. So our series is Decisions, Decisions. The question is, how can I make better decisions? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I know you have. I know you have. One estimate, because life is full of decisions to be made. One estimate claims that the average person makes 773,618 decisions in a lifetime. I do not know how they do the math on that, but they went on to say, and the average person will come to regret 143,262 of those decisions. Another source says that the average adult makes about 38 or 35,000 remotely conscious decisions a day. Now, I don't know about the math, but the remotely conscious, I could probably say, yeah, I get, I get that. But I do know about this. Cornell University, there's the research on this. Cornell University researchers say that 226.7 of those decisions that you make daily are about food. 226.7 daily decisions about food. My point is this, life is about decision making. And some decisions are just like simple. What, what time to get up, what to wear, what to eat. Others are big. What am I gonna do with my life? What about college, university, career, marriage, money decisions, parenting decisions, retirement decisions? I mean, the decisions just keep on coming, right? Saturday Evening Post reports a classified section with this ad in it. For sale, cheap, one wedding dress, size 10, worn only once by mistake. <laughs> decisions, decisions, decisions. Then there was the, the young woman who brought her date to meet her parents and they were not impressed. In fact, mom was like terrified and she pulls the daughter off to the side and said, honey, is he nice? And the girl's taken back. Oh, of course he's nice. Why else would he be doing 5,000 hours of community service? <laughs> Chances are right now, whether you like that joke or not, <laughs> you are at an intersection of decision that is going to wield consequence in your life. You are at the intersection preparing to make a decision. Would you like to know how to make better decisions? Now, the wise, friendly department head was being interviewed, you know, and they were asking, what's your secret to success? He said two words, right decisions. Oh, well, how do you come to that? Well, one word, experience. And where do you get experience? Two words. Wrong decisions. <laughs> Probably nobody here is going to contest 
experience. There's no substitute for experience, but there are some ways to acquire it in less time. Wouldn't it be great? Yes, there are. Uh, parenting, schooling, mentoring, all of those are ways to build your decision-making muscle and skill without having to make all the mistakes by yourself. Why does it matter? Well, biblically, the Bible teaches that being a decision-maker is part of your essence as a human being. You are made in the image of God, and part of that image-bearing is decision-maker, free to make decisions and experience the consequence. From cover to cover, the Bible tells the story of people making decisions. Very first story is one of those. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are placed at a critical intersection of decision, and God simply says, make the right choice. Choose the tree of life, right? Years later, fold on out to the story, after leading the people through the wilderness, and now they are on the threshold of the promised land, Moses, the great leader, says to them, challenges them, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Choose Choose, choose life so that you and your children may live and love the Lord your God in the land that he's giving you. Next story, flip on forward. You know, Joshua has now led them into the land of promise. And now as he comes to the conclusion of his leadership, this is what he says. He challenges them again. Choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You want to finish it with me? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice, and what a great choice to make on the threshold of a new year. All through the Bible story, God calls people to make the right choice. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest talks that he ever gave, he concludes it by saying this, you know, there is a wide road in life and it leads to destruction. And many, many, many people are on that road. Many of them don't know it, but they're on it. And then he said, and there's another narrow way that leads to life. And only a few are on that one. And then essentially says, make the right choice. Choose Life. Now, last week, Pastor Ryan introduced our series. Uh, great talk, by the way, inspiring to me as I joined online. Um, but he uses Paul's words to underline the same concept. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will reap. Choices have consequence. And making decisions and experiencing the consequences is the story of our lives. Or the way that he said it, decisions you make now last forever. You know, decisions matter now forever. Choices have consequences. So how can we improve our decision-making is the question of the day. Now, some options our culture puts forward to us um, include this kind of, this line of thinking. Uh, first, it's like, well, let your conscience be your guide. This is the Disney Pinocchio Jiminy Cricket uh, opportunity. Always let your conscience be your guide. And the way that that gets recycled, sometimes you'll hear it said this way, just uh, go with your gut on this one. 
Or they'll say, follow your heart. Can't be, how can it be wrong if it feels so right? Follow your heart. Let your con- But, you know, here's what my experience has taught me. My conscience can be misguided, my heart can be deceived, and my gut can get it wrong. Have you lived long enough to realize that your moral compass does not always point true north? Without exception. Am I the only one in the room who has that issue? No. It's part of the human equation. Moral sensitivities can be skewed. And just because a thing feels right to you does not mean, my experience has taught me this, that it is going to do right for you. That's part of wisdom, heads up, you know? Just because everybody's doing it, and how many times have I as a teenager, my kids as teenagers, perhaps your teenagers have said the same thing, everybody's doing it. (laughs) Jesus, this is like a heads up from Jesus. Hey, if you look around and everybody's doing it, chances are that's the wide road I'm talking about, and it's gonna end, it's not gonna end well. There's a wide road that lots of people travel and it's going to lead to destruction. So that's not good. How can you improve your decision-making and stay on the road that leads to life? Now, I will tell you up front, I'm biased here. I've traveled both roads, made decisions on both sides, and my experience, I'm not alone in that either, am I? My experience teaches me that following Jesus is the best answer to that question. So this message is not about all the decision-making scenarios in the world. It's about how can you improve your decision-making outcomes by following Jesus, honoring Jesus as your life manager. The Bible word for that is Lord. We say, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord? What it really means is, are you letting him manage your life? Is he your coach? Is he your mentor? Are you following his advice? Are you letting him affect your decision-making in life. Now, it's interesting, the word decide, the word decide comes from two Latin words that share the same root. Actually, they mean literally to cut off, to decide. And they they share the same partial etymology as the word homicide and pesticide. In other words, to decide means to determine by killing off choices. You make the best decisions, how? By avoiding all the less than decisions. The best decisions are not the ones that you suddenly add on as if that's what comes after. No, no, no. You've got to let go of the, cut them away, the ones that have death in them, all those less than alternatives. So to make the right choice always involves not making the wrong ones. So immediately we know this about the person who says, oh, hey, I'll try anything once. Okay, wait, (laughs) wait up. I mean, not only are you taking unnecessary risk, you're gonna waste a lot of time frittering away the only life you have 
with less than alternatives in the name of freedom. And we love freedom in this country. I'm telling you, we do. But, and here's what we say, I'm free, I can do anything I want. And it's like, okay, I get that. But what that means is you're setting yourself up for waste and disappointment. And here's what wisdom teaches. One thing for sure you cannot get back when it's gone is time. So improving your decisions means making the most of your time and not wasting a moment. Fortunately for us, the Bible is very practical in this area. And for one thing, uh, Jesus gives us a bullseye on life's target. Top priority in life, job one in life. Every morning when you get up, where are the crosshairs of your scope aiming? Well, Jesus says, seek to live your life in the righteous kingdom God is bringing to this earth. Here's the way he says it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the bullseye of target in life. You say, but what about my material wants? What about what I want in life? You know, yeah, I get that. He gets that. All the food, clothes, shelter, paying our bills, etc. Here's what Jesus says. If you aim at the right bullseye, then your father who loves you is going to see that all these things get added to you as part of his righteous kingdom. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you got to cut away the other competing priorities and focus on the bullseye and, uh, and then you'll experience God's provision in the journey. Okay, let's hold, just take that, set it off to the side. Okay, if, if the bullseye uh, is at the center of the target is the bullseye, then what does the outer rim represent? Well, those are the boundaries, the boundaries of life to, uh, to aim outside the target as any archer knows is to get nothing but air or worse. Jesus said in decision-making, there are worse outcomes that there are forces at work in this world who are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. So you want to avoid them. You don't complicate your decision-making by adding them. No, you've got to cut them away as you focus on the bullseye and then mind the boundaries. That's where boundaries help us as moral guardrails. And the scripture teaches about that as well. Like the Ten Commandments are moral guidelines that are guardrails and boundaries. So we have a framework with the bullseye and the boundaries. What we have left is a framework for decision-making that reflects the image of God in his creation. And that means you and the decisions you're making. And for that growth challenge, God gives us tools. And I want to list four of them today. First one is this, God's word in the Bible. Paul's writing to a young pastor about how can he help others Make decisions that will lead to the best outcomes. And here's what he says. In the Bible, we have God-inspired wisdom to help us be thoroughly equipped. What you need is in there for every good work. That means for outcomes that are going to wield positive results in your life. So getting to know the Bible may be one of the most important decisions you make toward improving your decision-making outcomes. Um, T.B. Maston, uh, ethics professor, Dr. Maston, I remember him saying that 90% of the will of God 
You want to know the will of God for your life? Is already revealed in the word of God. So if you want to know the will of God, get to know the word of God. But don't settle just on increasing your Bible head knowledge as you look in the scripture, look through the scripture to get acquainted with the author. And get to know the God of the Bible. Don't just get to know the Bible, which brings us to our second tool in decision-making, the Holy Spirit, our internal counselor. If you have trusted Christ, experienced his forgiveness, and his presence has come alive in you, right now the Spirit of the living God is present inside you. This is part of your gift as a believer. And Jesus said that his Spirit would guide us into all truth. Now we're talking about the margins between the bullseye and the boundaries. His spirit is going to be guiding. When he, the spirit of truth comes, John 16, 13, Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. He will take from what is mine, making it known to you so that you've got a heads up on decision-making. And then he said, my sheep know my voice. So part of growing in Christ is learning how to recognize God's voice as he speaks through his word, the Bible, and as he highlights it through promptings of his spirit within your spirit, through thoughts that come present on the center of your mind that invite you to lean in. And you start learning how to recognize the voice of God's spirit. More about this in next week's talk. But the third tool is other people. Now, sometimes, frankly, we turn to tool three when we should start with tool one and then tool two because you're going to need to know how do I sort through what other people's opinions are as well, right? But the third tool is other people. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel because we don't know what we don't know. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, here's where we benefit from having a teachable attitude in life. An open and responsive uh, mind to the advice of others. Parents are some of those others. Yes, parents, listen to your parents. Nobody loves you like your parents do. And if you're not being loved that way, God bless you. We're here to be the family that you haven't had. But parents are part of the advice givers and mentor, mentors. Vocational mentors can be that. Educators who have drilled down and now can draw up from the well on any particular subject. Employers can be a tremendous help of advice. Fellow colleagues and fellow employees in service can likewise be that. Fellow believers can be that in your spiritual journey. How many marriages have been helped, even saved, by the wisdom of good counsel shared from the trenches of experience when another brother or sister says, you know, we were at that place and I can tell you it doesn't have to stay that way. You can move here, it can become this. Hey, what if we prayed together and trusted God in this way? Yes, other believers speaking of, can, can be a part of success in your life. And speaking of success, um, being part of a group can help you access better experience more quickly so then you can translate it into action. So I'm hoping, you know, you can benefit from other people's experience and then they can benefit from yours. 
as we share wisdom on the journey of life, maybe one of the best decisions that you will make the beginning of this new calendar year is to get connected to a group where you start stepping in to sharing your understanding with others and learning from theirs. And it shortcuts the journey of experience for you because you're able to learn as you listen into them. So one of your best decisions may be joining a group and growing with others in the Christ journey. Then the fourth tool involves filters. Filters that you could cascade decision-making into for purer outcomes, you know, like water purification. You can come to a better end if you think through this. So the Apostle Paul actually gives the Corinthian believers a list of filters for them to use in their decision-making. And you may, think, you may think, well, that's just common sense. I'm telling you, common sense is not so common, is it, these days? So let's just glean some common sense from Paul. And you can think of these as exercises for developing your own decision-making muscle or helping somebody else that may be turning to you for counsel as well. As you seek the kingdom of God, bullseye, boundaries. Now, how do we sort through the in-between? Because from his first letter, chapter six, nine, and 10, uh, Paul is addressing people in Corinth that were all tangled up. They're all tangled up in their decision-making. They're trying to sort out the confusion of their sexual lives, their sexual identities. They're trying to sort through the appetites of their bodies, what they want with their time, with their money, um, the issue of their personal autonomy. That's the part of us that says, well, it's my right, it's my choice, right? And they're calling them their rights, but then their rights were ending up doing wrong to other people. How do you sort through that? Decisions they were making that were hurting others and could be helping others instead. So Paul gives them a list of filters to start thinking through in your choices that will lead to better consequential outcomes. And I want to list them real quickly. There's five filters that I want to list today. Questions that you can ask when making a decision. And I'll, we'll run through them quickly. You can jot them down. I'm going to hit them again, so it uh, won't be too fast. The first one is this. Is it beneficial? Just ask, you know, what good is it going to do? The second one is, will it master me? Is there an addictive component that I haven't thought through that will now start having me? Is it constructive? Will it help build something up? Will it help build other lives? The next one is, will it cause anyone to stumble? That's the other side of the fence. If it's not going to build them up, is it going to tear them down? Will it hurt their spiritual growth? And then the final one, will it bring glory to God? Will this decision draw me and others closer to everything that God who loves me has for my life and their life? Now, here are the verses that go with those filters if you want to know them. Is it beneficial? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. The people were saying, hey, everything is permissible for me. And Paul is saying, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. Ask yourself, is it beneficial? Will it do good? Will it master me? Is it addictive? They were saying, hey, everything is permissible for me. Okay, I get that. But I will not be mastered by anything. I don't want to wield influence to an addictive behavior that becomes a bad habit and then takes me into destruction. 
Is it constructive? Will it help build others' lives? 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible. Isn't it something how often you hear this echoing through their letter? Hey, I can do it. I'm free. But every, not everything is constructive, he says. So nobody should seek his own good. See, this is modeling our lives after our life coach, our life manager, Jesus Christ, but for the good of others. And then number five, will it cause, or four, will it cause anyone to stumble? Could it actually hurt somebody? What I'm about to do, have I thought down the road to see what dominoes are gonna fall? And he says, so don't cause anyone to stumble. I don't seek my own good, but the good of many so that God could use my life and others could experience his. Others could be saved, imagine that. And then number five, will it bring glory to God? Will it draw me and others around me closer to God? Jesus said, let your light so shine <coughs> that others can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So whether you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Imagine this, something as simple as eating and drinking in your life every single day can be crammed with the glory of God so that it oozes out in ways that other people can be drawn closer to him. Is that amazing? It's not just about going to church on a holy day, but living your life from such perspective that God's glory squeezes out wherever you go. And that's the vision he has for us. Now, there are tensions at work here, and perhaps you've already seen them. Here's what I see. The Corinthians were saying, hey, everything is permissible for me. This is like the catchphrase of their century. You know, they got it on their T-shirts, on their bumper stickers. They're saying it again and again and again. Everything, anything goes. Everything is permissible for me. I'm making my own reality here. And maybe because their culture was so permissive, that was one reason. Or some scholars believe that since some had come out of such a strict, legalistic, religious background, that when they came to discover they were saved by grace, not by works, that they were pushing the boundaries on their own freedom. Either way, Paul is saying this, you know what? The tension is permissible. Everything is permissible. Okay, permissible is counterbalanced ethically by perspective on outcomes. Permissible, you are free to decide, but it is counterbalanced ethically by perspective on outcomes. Take the longer look. He's saying to believers, you know, get past the nose and the quick dollar deal here and take a longer look than simply your momentary pleasure or your bodily indulgence. Take a longer look and ask yourself, what benefits are really gonna result from this? Can you do a pros and cons analysis? If you play this thing out, what strings are attached that maybe you haven't seen? Is there small print that's going to bite you later? That's what he's saying. And what strings could become chains? Warren Buffett likes to quote Samuel Johnson's insight. The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. Paul says, you know what? God doesn't want any believer to be mastered by anything except their life manager, 
Jesus is Lord. And so when Jesus is Lord, guess what he does? He shares his overcoming with us. So he raises us to be overcomers in life. The Corinthians are saying they have right. Don't we have rights? Isn't it our right? I'll say, well, yeah. You have rights. They're saying, don't we have the rights to do with our bodies whatever we want to do? With our sex lives? Don't we have the right to eat and drink as we please? And here's what Paul does. He introduces them into a tension of thinking that needs to be managed. He essentially says rights are counterbalanced ethically by responsibility to do the right thing. To do the right thing for God and for others. Somebody said, we have a Statue of Liberty on the East Coast. We need a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. Because those are the tensions that are always at work. We want to talk about our rights and demand our rights. And what Paul is saying from the inspired wisdom of God is that rights are always counterbalanced by the responsibility to do the right thing. And when you choose the right way toward the right end, then the right Benefit will come your way. And then he he gets real specific on this one. He says, by the way, your bodies are not your own. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You were designed by God so that God could live in you. He could cram you full of glory and actually transform your body just like he transformed the resurrection body of Jesus because your body was designed not just for this life, but for the next life. And so therefore you should honor God with your body. You have been bought with a price and now through your body, God can use you to be helpful to others and bring glory to himself. Imagine that. That's what he's saying. Yeah, your decision-making has impact that will affect this life and the next. And you can be fully redeemed. Whatever your background, whatever your past, you can be, whatever your choices, whatever those bad ones were, you can be fully redeemed into the best decisions possible. It's reported that during the Apollo missions to the moon, the spaceships were off course 90% of the time. 90% of the time. How did they succeed? Well, the answer is, is simple in one sense. They stayed in touch with mission control. And then as soon as they found out about an off point or a decision leading them wrong, then they would make the corrective decision to bring it back online. When you realize something's gone wrong, you make the decision to right the wrongs and then stay on track and then complete your mission, which they did. Even Apollo 13, by the way, when things really went wrong, somebody used the decision-making potential of an image bearer of God and made it right. The same can happen for you. Whatever orbit you find yourself in because of decisions that have been made, you can take corrective action and God will meet you there. And lead you in the path of righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do the right thing with your decisions that need help. God can help you do the right thing. Psalm 139, the the book of Psalms is a tremendous prayer mentoring guide, actually. If you want to know how to pray and how to work through this, David gets very 
personal and uh, about some of his great victories. He celebrates them, some of his defeats and failures. He really mourns them and some of his confusions. He just lets the reader into those as he's talking to God. Psalm 139 is a prayer that, that I've prayed. You could pray this with me. It, it starts out this way. Oh Lord, you've searched me. You know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You know my going out, my lying down. You know, you're familiar with all my ways. God is so intensely personal and he knows my decisions in daily life. He knows your decisions in daily life. And so intimately involved, he wants to be with you. And David is reflecting this. And then he works through his issues in the psalm and he comes to the end. And, and this is what, what snagged me. He almost ends it the same way he began. Except that the first he's making a declaration and the last he's making an invitation. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. I mean, go deep. The places that I'm not paying attention, test me. That means meet me in the hard place. And know my anxious thoughts, like Jenny was saying. Fear was shutting me down. God, he's saying, meet me there, Lord, and then see if there is any offensive way. What does that mean? Is there any place where I'm off point and it's going to take me into a place where I'm not thinking and I don't want to go? And then as you lead, as you show me, then lead me in the way everlasting. Get me on the track of life. You can make that your prayer right now. Seriously, right now for decisions you're making, for decisions you've made, for things that are before you, and you're not even sure where it's going to take you, but the Holy Spirit and God's truth can meet you there and help you. Just take the next right step. Here's what I've learned, and I have so much more to learn, but I have learned that walking in the fullness of God's will in my life is not so much a matter of, of a tightrope, <laughs> right? As it is a playing field. It's more like a football field where there is a manual with plays that can be called as you keep the goal in mind and honor the boundaries and then make the choices that are going to lead to the outcomes that are the desire of God's heart for you who loves you more than you do. The thing that I need reminding of in the weeds when the decisions are now so confusing is, hey, what really matters? That's the bullseye. And then I need to mind the boundaries because I don't need to get out of bounds. That's going to cost me. It's going to penalize me. And I need to know, Lord, what the plays are that I can call with you to take me to my desired end. And God wants to give them but it may require course corrections to get there in order to keep the main thing the main thing. What I'm talking about isn't just adding one more decision onto a stack you've already made. What I'm talking about is, what are the ones that need to be cut out? You got to decide and commit a little de decisional homicide. You need to unleash some personal pesticide. And those things that say, oh, but I want, no, then you need to say, oh, but Lord, what would you have of me? Because chances are today, in order for you to get on the right side of this equation, Jesus is going to tell you two things. You need to stop doing something, and you need to start doing something. 
and that's where he will meet you. So let's review just real quickly. Okay, how can you improve your decisions making? You aim at God's bullseye. You honor righteous boundaries. You use the four tools that God has provided for you. And then you evaluate through five filters and then you make the course corrections. And then the consequences change. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for your gracious wisdom, for the ancient stories and how they still resonate with real-time decisions today. And so I'm praying for sisters and brothers who right now your spirit is doing precisely what you said he would. He is leading them into truth about some decision they've made. Is it time to stop doing that? Then say, Lord, it's yours. I give it to you. Is it time to start doing something else? Then say, Lord, I'll start today. Where is he meeting you? Where is he offering insight? And have you yet said, yes, Lord? I will seek first your kingdom and let you lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And to a spiritual seeker here today, maybe the best decision you could make is starting your journey with Christ. And here's a prayer that can help you do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for speaking truth that can set me free. I invite you to forgive my sins, come into my life, and apply what you did on the cross to me. And so I turn from my way to your way and ask that you would lead me to know the fullness of your will by grace. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon the next steps of your faith journey, then I'm gonna invite you to simply raise your hand and hold it up for a few moments long enough for me to be able to look across the room. And if you're joining us online, there's an orange banner right there you can click on. God is setting people free today. So thank you, sister, right down front here in the middle. God bless you. And then over to my left, I'm seeing two, three, Hands raised, God bless you, brother, sister, sister. To my right, right here toward the front, God bless you, sir. And then here in the middle, God bless you, sir. We're praying for one another right now to the person to our left and our right, our front, our back. Lord, for every hand that was raised as a symbol of a heart that is open, would you pour the presence of your spirit in ways that would be real and let each brother and sister know how much they matter to you, how present you are in their life right now, and then fill them to overflowing that they could walk with us into the future of your design. We make our prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen.